there is no one philosophy that describes how you decide cases. There is no one rule book. Uh, law is not about abstract theories. Law is about our real-life lived experiences and the wisdom we gain from our experiences, and that gets reflected in the law. Bridge the city, whoa, whoa. Bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Bridge the city, whoa, whoa. Bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. I'm your host, Benjamin Rangel, and today we have another election special for you, our amazing listeners. It is, after all, that time of year, and while the news around national politics fills your social media feeds, you know you can count on Bridge the City to bring you the coverage of local elections that you need. One of those elections is on February 18th. That is barely a month from now. And in about a month, you'll have the opportunity to narrow the field for Wisconsin State Supreme Court. There are three candidates running in the primary on February 18th. Dane County Circuit Judge Jill Karofsky, incumbent Justice Daniel Kelly, who was appointed by former Governor Scott Walker in 2016, and law professor and former defense attorney Ed Fallone, who you'll hear from in this episode. As you know, Bridge the City is nonpartisan, and you should not consider this interview an endorsement of Fallon or any of the candidates. Instead, our goal is for you all to be as informed as possible about your options. In addition, we hope to have some of the other candidates on the podcast, if possible, so check back in on that in the future. In case you didn't know, the state Supreme Court justices are elected to 10-year terms here in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's a long time, and so your vote has a huge impact on the future of our state. The last time we had a primary for the state Supreme Court, turnout was less than 12% here in the state of Wisconsin, so let's try to beat that. Before we hear from Professor Fallone, if you value our coverage of local elections, if this interview or any of the other election specials have ever impacted your vote, please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com slash bridge the city. For as little as $4.14 a month, you keep amazing content like this coming to wherever you listen to podcasts. Your support truly does go a long way. But let's get back to today's episode. In our interview, you will also hear from a guest interviewer. That's something we like to do from time to time on Bridges City. Our guest helping me interview Professor Fallone is Richard Esparza, a friend of the pod, but also a former student of Professor Fallone. So we invited him to join me in the interview with the candidate and his former professor. Enjoy. I'm Ed Fallone. I'm currently a professor at Marquette University Law School. I'm a candidate for the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and I'm very happy to be with Bridge of the City. Thank you so much, Ed, for being on. As some of our longtime listeners may remember, we have had Supreme Court candidates on the podcast before. But Ed, I'm curious, uh, you've been at Marquette for a long time. I think you said 20 plus years, tenured faculty there. What, What sort of inspired you to run for state Supreme Court? I was the first candidate to declare my candidacy for this position on the court, and it's because I've been a very close observer of our state Supreme Court for many years. As you can imagine, as a law professor, constitutional law expert, I pay close attention to what they do, and I've been very disappointed. Our court has become so politicized, and partisan politics seems to have infected them, just as it seems to infect almost every branch of government, and I'm absolutely committed to having an independent judiciary. And so I'm running for the court 
because I know we can get back to the same kind of Supreme Court we used to have, one that was well-respected nationally, that uh, can make decisions for all the people of Wisconsin and not just the narrow special interest groups. And I think the way to do that is to change the kind of person we elect to the court. Wonderful. And if there are other listeners who have been paying attention to state politics and particularly the state Supreme Court races in the past, they might... um, they might be familiar with your name because in 2013, you actually ran for state Supreme Court, um, wasn't successful in that race. What makes this time different? Uh, I had a very successful campaign in 2013. Um, There was an incumbent justice no one wanted to run against. I said, we need to change the direction of the court. I will run. I stepped forward. I ended up receiving um, more newspaper endorsements than the incumbent and I ended up receiving over 360,000 votes. So even though I fell short of winning the race, I felt it was very successful. I think what's different this time is I was warning people about the direction the court was headed. Um, I saw what was happening in our state of Wisconsin uh, after the election of Governor Walker, and uh, I think at that time many people in our state didn't want to believe what was going on, and so perhaps didn't see the urgency that I saw. Uh, This campaign, I'm being very upfront. I'm talking to folks about my principles, about my values, about the issues I've fought for uh, over the years, things like transparency in government, our right of free speech, uh, equal protection for our most vulnerable groups like immigrants and the LGBT community. I'm standing up and I'm talking about my principles, and I think this time around people are ready for change. And speaking of those principles, I know from my experience speaking to other people in law or um, professors who teach law, uh, there's a reference often to one's judicial philosophy, right? Like what is your philosophy in terms of the role of the court, Mm -hmm. um, role of judges or justices in this case? How would you describe your own judicial philosophy? Uh, We get that question a lot. What is your judicial philosophy? And I'm here to tell you that it's the wrong question, okay? It assumes that there's a particular way that uh, judges should interpret our Constitution. It assumes that there's one model of judge, and if we can just figure out what that model is and have all of our judges follow that model, that we'll have justice. And I can tell you that's absolutely wrong. Uh, There is no one philosophy that describes how you decide cases. There is no one rule book. Uh, Law is not about abstract theories. Law is about our real-life lived experiences and the wisdom we gain from our experiences, and that gets reflected in the law. And so what I say is we don't need um, to figure out a particular kind of judicial philosophy and find judges who have it. What we need is a variety of judges with a variety of different perspectives. And when our court system is filled with that sort of diversity of legal experience, diversity of life experience, that's when we'll have justice. And so speaking of that diversity of life, life experience, let's back up a little bit. I think I jumped right into the nuts and bolts of um, why you're running, and, and we're already, already talking about judicial philosophy, even though that's the wrong way to think of it, um, which, I mean, I hadn't heard that before, so I appreciate you saying, saying so. Um, but tell me a little bit about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did you grow up living in Milwaukee? I mentioned you were in, at Marquette for a long time now, but tell me a little yeah. bit about who you are as a person. Sure. Um, I I grew up in a working-class family. My father was a public high school teacher who was the uh, grandson of Italian immigrants. My mother was a Mexican immigrant herself. Uh, My father met her in Mexico City. Um, They corresponded by letter, and uh, he married her and brought her back to the United States, and they raised 
uh, a family of four children. Um, and so I grew up in a working class family. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, education and college and law school certainly seemed uh, like distant possibilities. But through talent and hard work, I was able to get a scholarship to uh, one of the top law schools in the country. And most of my tuition was paid. So I was able to practice law at a very high level, uh, representing corporations at a national law firm. Um, but it wasn't for me. That's not how I wanted to spend my life, I realized after about four years, four and a half years. Um, and I remembered what education had done for me. You know, it helped me get from a working class family to financial security. And so I became a law professor at Marquette Law School. And for now, uh, going on 27 years, I've been teaching the next generation of lawyers, helping to give them the benefit of education and hopefully allow them to have the sort of uh, success in their careers that I had. Um, but I haven't just done that. Uh, I've still rem remembered where I came from. I've given back to the community in southeastern Wisconsin. So in the nonprofit sector, I've led organizations that intervene with at-risk youth to keep them away from gang activity, keep them in school. I've led organizations that provide affordable lawyers to working families who otherwise would have to go to court on their own because they can't afford the private bar. And I've led organizations that serve the needs of immigrant families and help them get affordable lawyers in deportation proceedings when they have a legal claim to stay in the U.S., but they can't afford a lawyer to help them make their case. So I've always given back to the community. I've never forgotten where I came from. And I view this race for the Supreme Court as yet another way I can give back. I think at this stage in our state's history and in our country's history, a constitutional law scholar, someone who understands the needs of our working families, someone who's tried to make the justice system work better from the outside, I think that's exactly the perspective we need on our court. And I uh, would be remiss to, to point out that we have a, a guest interviewer here on this particular episode. Um, it's not necessarily abnormal. We've had people join the podcast in the past, but um, Richard Esparza is here, a friend of, of Bridge the City, a friend of the pod, also a law student at Marquette, I believe a former student of, of Ed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yep. So we thought Richard would be a great addition to the interview and um, I'm wondering, Richard, having heard what Ed has said so far about why he's running, what questions come to mind for you? Yeah, um, one question I had was, uh, how important uh, is it to have representation on the state's highest court? What can you bring to the table that the other candidates cannot? Uh, yeah, Richard, that's a good question, and, and I can't help but notice the irony. You get to ask me questions for a change, <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of the opposite of in the law school classroom. Um, well, I think uh, our... Three branches of state government should represent the people of Wisconsin. And, and we vote for our Supreme Court justices for a reason. Right? We vote for them so that we can choose. We can make a decision. Who do we want to represent us? Uh, and so I think it's important that all three branches represent the state, uh, not just the legislature, not the, just the executive, but the judicial branch as well. You know, and we do not have uh, diversity in our state judiciary. Wisconsin is uh, near the bottom in terms of the diversity of our courts as far as compared to other states. And we've never had a Latino justice on our state Supreme Court. In fact, the only ethnic minority ever to serve on our court was Lewis Butler, and it's now been 10 years since he lost his reelection campaign. So it's far past time for us to uh, have a broader segment of the Wisconsin population represented on our state Supreme Court. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. 
my second question was more so about the uh, role that the court plays, uh, specifically with judicial review. I, I mean, we've heard a lot about it with um, the lame duck uh, session that happened and mm-hmm. the Supreme Court hearing that. Uh, what role do you think the Supreme Court should have at the state level uh, as like law and politics become more inter- intertwined? Well, that's there's a lot I could unpack from that question, Richard. Um, I think that there's, first of all, the need for the court to um, stop behaving in a political manner. Um, and, and really, th- the justices on our state Supreme Court need to remember they serve the interest of the institution first, and that is maintaining the integrity and the independence of the institution and making sure that the public never perceives them as having picked political sides. And unfortunately, whether it's by bypassing the Court of Appeals and taking cases uh, directly that are politically charged um, or by refusing to change the rules uh, that allow them to sit on cases involving major campaign contributors, I think the current majority on our court um, has forgotten the need to to behave uh, with the utmost independence and and preserve the integrity of the court. Um, And then there's also the question of of what role they play in these political battles. And I have to say, in the um, case involving the lame duck legislation where um, the state legislature stripped some powers from Governor Evers, um, you know, the issue before the court was very simple. Did the state legislature follow our constitutional requirements in terms of when they are in session in order to pass laws. And by ruling that the, the court couldn't even decide that question, um, that only the state legislature can decide for itself um, these, these issues, I think the court abandoned the fundamental principle uh, going all the way back to Marbury versus Madison, which is it is the job of the courts to tell the political branches what the law is and when they are violating the law. And uh, I absolutely disagreed with that decision. Bridge of the City is all about engagement and activism. Uh, we have a, a motto at the podcast, sound bites aren't solutions. The whole idea behind the podcast is to get people more engaged, mm-hmm. um, more involved, and more informed. Can you just take a step back and um, explain the importance of somebody on the state Supreme Court? How how important is this election relative to others, maybe, or just what would be your pitch if somebody is skeptical about why they should or should not pay attention or vote in this in this election? Well, there, there, what's the pitch? Why does the Wisconsin Supreme Court matter, and why does this election matter? Again, you ask questions that have multiple layers, uh, but uh, I think there's there's the issue of the power of the court, and then there's the issue of the power of the voter. So let me talk about the power of the court first. The power of the court is they get to decide who decides the rules we live by. They get to decide whether a certain policy issue, uh, say handguns being allowed on a city bus, they get to decide whether a local government transit authority, the bus company, gets to make that rule, whether the city where the bus company is located gets to decide whether handguns are allowed, whether the state legislature gets to decide for the entire state and all buses in the state, or whether the constitution of our state has already decided that question and the legislature can't change it. And that's an awesome power our state Supreme Court has. And again and again, I don't care whether the issue is, you know, free speech rights on campus or uh, protection of groundwater from spill off of corporate farms, whatever the issue is, ultimately, if you get a legal dispute, 
the Wisconsin Supreme Court's going to decide who gets to decide. And that's an incredible power. And But then there's the power of the voters, right? And too often our voters are told they, they don't have any power, that they should let other people decide who sits on the state Supreme Court. They should let people who are political insiders or endorsers um, tell them, here's the candidate you should vote for for the Supreme Court. And too often voters feel, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I have no idea what the issues are on the Supreme Court. I have no basis for evaluating who to vote for. And, and they just, the voters, let someone else decide for them. They give their vote away. I think it's really important in this campaign for me to let the voters know it's their decision. They get to decide what kind of person they want on the state Supreme Court, right? Do they want someone who's been an advocate for civil rights to sit in one of those seats? I have been an advocate for civil rights for the Latin community and for immigrants across the board my whole career. Do they want someone who is a expert in the Constitution? I've been a constitutional law professor for 25 years. I understand the Constitution. Do they want someone who's been a criminal defense lawyer? We have three former prosecutors on the court. There's nothing wrong with people who come at criminal justice from the prosecution perspective, but there's another side to the story. Isn't there room for at least one criminal defense lawyer? I was a criminal defense lawyer before I became a professor. So it's up to the people to take their vote back and say, whose voice is not being heard? Whose perspective is not being represented? And I can tell you, I have represented large corporations, Fortune 100 corporations, but I've also represented family businesses. And I've led organizations that help our working families in the state. And so I've seen the law from many, many different perspectives. And when I talk about that and taking back the power of your vote, people understand. So I think it's important, too, for voters to understand who you're running against, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you're, you're not alone in this race. Otherwise, there wouldn't be much of a race, right? So I think it's clear that you're most ideologically different from Kelly, who is running, uh, who's appointed by Governor Walker. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but there's also a, um, you know, it's a nonpartisan race, but a, a someone left of the political spectrum, um, Karofsky running as well. Mm -hmm. Knowing that you're ideologi clearly ideologically different f from Kelly, what separates you if there's a voter out there who knows they're going to vote between the two of you mm -hmm. um, because of their own ideological perspective? What separates you from, from Karofsky? Well, I think, um, as I said, I was the first candidate to announce, and, and I'd like to hear uh, Jill Karofsky explain why she's running, why she chose to run against me. Um, I'm running on a campaign of adding diversity to the court. Um, first Latino on the court, someone who's undoubtedly qualified as a law professor um, whose opinion has been sought out by uh, Senator Herb Cole, who I advised on four U.S. Supreme Court nominations, by the Obama White House, which asked me to speak out about the Merrick Garland confirmation uh, mess. Um, but what I think differentiates me is that I think I bring a perspective that's not present on the court. Um, I bring someone who comes from a criminal defense background. She's a former prosecutor. She spent her career putting people behind bars. Um, I'm talking on the campaign trail about the problem of mass incarceration. And we need to have a, a judiciary. We need to have judges who support those progressive DAs and legislators 
who are trying to end mass incarceration and reform the criminal justice system. And I think um, what I bring is a level of knowledge of the Constitution that she lacks, quite frankly. Um, she has not dealt with issues involving the First Amendment. She has not dealt with issues involving equal protection. Uh, she has not dealt with issues involving separation of powers. She has not dealt with issues involving the difference between the state constitution and the federal constitution. And these are things that on day one, I bring an expertise and a knowledge. And I really feel that since Justice Shirley Abramson retired, you know, Shirley came to the court from a law school professor position. She had never been a trial judge. And over a fantastic career of four decades, she proved to be a leader on the court with her broad perspective and understanding of the law. And while I'm not pretending that I can uh, completely replace Justice Abramson, uh, I certainly think I'm the most qualified to attempt to replace her on the court. The message that I'm taking around the state everywhere is, is the same, which is, uh, first of all, we need to broaden the diversity on our state Supreme Court, not just ethnic diversity, that's the obvious, but also legal experience. Uh, if you talk to practicing lawyers, people who practice family law and divorce, people who practice business law, right? Um, there's a wide variety of the legal profession who feels that our judges are coming from too narrow a base of experience. Um, and I'm talking a lot about changing the way we think about the court and taking our vote back and affirmatively deciding whose voice we want to see represented. And I'm just talking about my qualifications over a 30-year legal career uh, practicing law at the highest level in the country, uh, teaching law, an expert in the Constitution, someone that elected officials and national media seek out for my advice. Um, and I, I find that uh, when I lay it out that simply, the voters really understand and they're getting behind my campaign. And then just so I'm clear, too, when you say taking taking the court back, um, from what I've read about your campaign and sort of the messaging, that's specifically referencing the role maybe of special interests um, and the impact they've had on the court and, and, and you're looking to represent uh, or take back the court for everyday people, the people of Wisconsin. Well, take back the court for, for everyday people and it's connected to who we choose to sit on the court. If, if, if working people want their voice to be heard on the court, then we need to look beyond the usual suspects of candidates. And that's really connected. And if we're upset with the quality of justice, the way to change the quality of justice is change the people who sit on the court and change the mix of people. Yeah. So one question I love to ask people, and, and you can respond based on your um, experience as a professor or any moment in your life, really. Uh, what is your most proud accomplishment? Mm. My most proud accomplishment... Well, that is an interesting question. You know, I don't usually think of my life that way, look for opportunities to pat myself on the back. I'm a very critical, self-critical person. Um, but I have to say, um, I really felt when I was president of the Latino Community Center and the, the organization was in crisis and we had to, um, we had to move out the current executive director who was involved in a scandal. We had to do it effectively. We had to avoid uh, losing our funding. Um, we had to find a new executive director as a nonprofit. Um, and all the time, we had to keep our doors open because it was vitally important that we keep serving our 
students, over 100 students a day coming who we gave services to. Um, and I, I do feel that in that period of crisis um, that I led the organization through, um, that was perhaps one of my uh, highlights of my career. And then, as I alluded to earlier, Bridges City is all about action. We end every single episode with a tangible action step from our guests on how to get involved to make a difference in the community. I think one obvious action step might be to vote, and then you might also say to vote for, for you. Uh, but I'm interested. Uh, you can say that, of course. Plug any websites and stuff you need to. Uh, but is there another action step you want to provide to our listeners and how they can make a difference and get involved in the community? Uh, well, yes, and, and voting is an important action step, and not just in the fall, not just the sexy elections, president, U.S. senator, but in the spring, because it's our local races, school board, so important, city council or village trustee, so important, and our judicial races. These are vitally important uh, positions, and if you don't vote, other people are making the decision who gets to sit in those chairs. Uh, the website for me is falloneforjustice.com, uh, falone, F-A-L-L-O-N-E, for, F-O-R, justice.com. And I make it real easy for people. I've put all my writings, uh, opinion pieces I've published in newspapers, articles I've written. Uh, it's all there. So you can see the positions I've taken uh, in support of our civil rights over a 30-year career. And you can decide for yourself whether you want me on the state Supreme Court. Also... It's, there's a Spanish option for Spanish-speaking people. On the website. Mm -hmm. Great. Por supuesto. Yeah, good to know. Ed, thank you so much for being on Bridge the City. Good luck with the campaign. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Thank you, Professor Falone, for making the time to speak with Bridges City, and to Richard Esparza for guest interviewing Professor Falone with me. Thank you all for listening and continuing to support Bridges City in 2020. Just a reminder that even though this episode was featuring a candidate for the state Supreme Court, there are four elections this year, including two that are right around the corner. Of course, the one on February 18th featuring the state Supreme Court candidates, but then also on April 7th, there's another uh, election. So if you're concerned about not knowing who's on your ballot or where to vote or whether or not you're registered, please visit myvote.wi.gov. That's myvote.wi.gov to learn more about everything voting related, including how to register to vote, what's on the ballot, and where your polling place is. This is going to be a big year for Milwaukee with a lot of new attention from around the country because it turns out there's this event in July. It's called the DNC or something. You might have heard of it. Um, it's a big deal. So get out there, get informed, and let us know, as always, how you have helped bridge the city. Bridge the city. Whoa.